The guns are silent now, more than 50 years after these beaches turned to hell. On June 6, 1944, some 350,000 Allied troops broke through the German fortifications here at a place that will forever live in history. Then the fate of World War II began to swing here. And decades later, today's guest would feel her own fate hanging by a thread as she jumped off of a cliff for a better view of history. Welcome to the Get Lost Podcast, everybody. I'm the host, Joe Sills. I'm a freelance journalist for Discovery Networks, Nat Geo, Forbes, and a handful of other places. Today's guest is also a journalist. She's a podcaster and a digital media savant who makes her way to Memphis via Washington and Southern California. Her name is Jessica Benson. Welcome to the show. Wow, savant. Yeah. You make me feel way cooler than I actually am. Well, you earn a lot of cool points for actually coming in the studio. Okay, that's fair. And I walked in this Memphis heat. That's true. And it is like notoriously hot in August in Memphis. But you know what? It's so weird. I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. We get so used to it being in the 90s that when it dips into like 83 territory, I had the audacity to say I was comfortable yesterday. (laughs) I was like, who have I become? Like, I did not grow up in the humidity and this southern heat continues to just smack me in the face so often. But I think this is proof that that I fit in now. This is home. People are like literally walking around in in like light jackets in the 80s. I ran into someone yesterday and they were in long sleeves and I was like, what are you doing? It's like I'm just I'm just going for a, a brief walk. I was like, it's 80 degrees. You're in a long sleeve black shirt. It is hot. Yeah. Why would you do this? It's crazy. So thanks for coming into the studio. I think you're the first in person guest we've had since season one. Wow. We're on season three now. Phew. Which is not indicative of actual years. It's just how often I can cram together six to ten episodes. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that when. um my fiance Chris and I started a podcast about our relationship. We had the same thing. We have two seasons of mm-hmm. said podcast. And then when the pandemic hit, we took a big hiatus. And when we come back, we're like, will we call it season three or will it be an extension of season two? I think we have to just call it season three. There's what if it's so like AOL time. and it's like 2.1, 2.3, 2. 2.2B? Could be. Tell everybody, tell everybody right, about the, your podcast well, with Chris. My podcast with Chris, which is just like we do for fun. But it started out, it was called Still Not Engaged. Because when we moved to the South, everyone was so enamored with the fact that we had been together for five plus years at that point, And we still weren't engaged and had no 
real plans of getting engaged in the near future. So this is like mind blowing to locals. Yes. Oh my gosh. And and you live together? Gas. Like oh my gosh, gas, big gas. (gasps) And then once we did end up getting engaged back in oh gosh, 2018, 19, 19, 2019, um, we changed the podcast name to Still Not Married. So we're keeping with that Still Not format. Right. So once we get married, we can say Still Not Divorced. Still Not or Divorced. Still Not Having a Baby. Still Not Parents. Still Not Cooking. <laughs> I'm definitely still not cooking. Chris <laughs> does all of the cooking. That's why we're getting married in a nutshell. <laughs> I thought it was his rabid love of sports. Also that. Also that. This man was up for the TBT tournament. Because he's a Syracuse grad and Beheim's like army the won the championship. Three on three thing? No. It's it's full basketball. It's uh-huh. like retired not retired, that's a that's a big word, but just like past players coming together past their prime maybe a little bit. Okay. But it's good basketball and so they used, retired. Yeah, retired is fair. They use the Elam ending. So everything is exciting as hell at the end. Yeah. Because you just, you know, add on whenever the time hits, you add whatever number it is and then it's a race to get to like last night it was 69 which made sense <laughs> nice and it, yeah great great end to the tournament there but it was incredible it was but he was running around our apartment with his shirt off and i was like <laughs> it's a tbt tournament in august dude Settle and you know down. when you're out of town we like have to babysit him at the bar because i <laughs> yes but the same goes like vice versa we we don't do well without each other at this point like we've been together for so long when we get married next summer um, well, it'll be our 10 year anniversary. That's a long time before getting married. Yeah. Like, we have gone through it. Yeah. He's a great guy. We're, and I, I enjoy having his company around cause he's always super excited to get out. Yeah. So. He's a very excitable person, so, which I guess we both are really in that sense. Totally. Yes. So before we get into today's show, we're going to go to France. We're going to go to Normandy, um, which is a place we haven't gone yet on this episode. I want to talk to you a little bit about your background cause you actually covered the Olympics at one point. I did. That's where Chris and I met. Oh my God! Perfect yeah. tie-in. I know. There you go. Um, yeah, Tell we me were about it. we were interns back in 2012, the London Games, mm-hmm. and I was going into it was the summer going into my junior year of college at the University of Southern California, and USC had a program where they took a bunch of students and allowed them the opportunity to have this internship, and so we worked for NBC, and we were based in the International Broadcast Center, the IBC. And it was just essentially like a four-week summer camp working experience. You did not sleep. I obviously met my future husband. That sounds a wild story. It was incredible. And we stayed in two different spots too, which was kind of nice to be able to see different parts of of London. And ultimately, like where the Olympic grounds were were so far outside of like London proper. So Mm -hmm. it was like an hour bus ride there every morning. So then you would come back to where we were staying, which was kind of by the National Museum area. Yeah. Um, Our original hotel, the Guelman Hotel, was like right across from the London Bridge, which was great. Wow. And then you would just go to the pubs and drink. Yeah. And then sleep for two hours and wake up and and nap on the bus on the way back out. Wait, so uh, is there like a moment where you two spy each other across the London Bridge? I mean, how does this... (laughs) That'd be great. Because then I can see him like frolicking to you as as his way. No, we had um, a not so love at first sight moment. We were in the lobby 
of the hotel and I was on my phone and a friend of mine who had made everything, everything operated on like turbo speed there. Right. Mm-hmm. So this girl who I had just met two days prior had become my best friend in London and we were going out that night. <laughs> this is summer camp. It, it really is. That's, that's the best uh, metaphor I can give for the whole experience. And so she brings this guy over and she was like, Oh, this is Chris. He's going to come out with us tonight. I was texting on my phone and I guess I didn't really look up. And Chris said to me, you know, it's really rude to be on your phone when you meet someone for the first time. And I looked up and I said, oh, you know, it's really rude to be a prick when you meet someone for the first time. <laughs> and, and that was our our meeting moment. And it turns out he was trying to get with the other girl originally. But then, you know, we just had such a connection there at the I think we went to like an Irish pub in London, which felt very sacrilegious that night. But it but is what it is. That's mischievous, you know? Yeah. In the Irish pub in London. And the cool thing about London is like when you're there and I just remember this like pre-COVID London times, it's just so magical in a different way than New York or Paris or L.A. Like, you know, it's a dense city, but it feels yeah. really walkable to me. Very walkable, very runnable. Like we would go on runs sometimes and Chris had studied abroad there. So as anyone who's ever studied abroad, like they just want to show you everything that they did because yeah, right. it's everyone's best time in their life. And so we would just go on runs through the city and it was a great way to to see different things and to pop into a pub. Like that's one thing in European culture that I I love, not because I need to drink in the afternoon, but just this idea of Let's have a social hour. Let's, you know, pop in on our way home from work. And, and there's no rush to it. Like you're just right. chatting with your friends and hanging out and, and whatever that is. I don't know why we don't have that as much here. It's always like such an effort to go out. You make the it's, choice it's to go car out. It's car culture, right? It's like our yeah. our cities for the most part are built around automobiles. So to go out is wildly irresponsible if you're not correct uber or whatever and there's so few cities that have an actual neighborhood like our, mm-hmm. we both live in downtown memphis so we can just walk to the pub or in this case the podcast studio which is nice <laughs> um we could turn it into a pub yeah but even still we should well actually you know a south hybrid. main sounds is a pub on trolley nights so the Ooh. last friday of every month if you're in memphis uh upstairs there's live music and there's a bar i just went to my very first trolley night so i'm still a trolley newbie i can't believe that I worked Friday nights when I when I first was in Memphis, I worked for Local 24, the ABC station. Right. And so during high school season, both high school football and high school basketball, we had a Friday night show where I would not get out of the studio until roughly midnight to 1 a.m. every single Friday night. And then oftentimes, you know, being like the new kid on the block, I would often have to fill in on Friday nights during the summer. And so I honestly, I never had an off Friday trolley night where I was in town. So it was fun. You know what happens on trolley night, Jess? Um, you end up at Max's. <laughs> uh, you do. And you end up at Max's Sports Bar. You get wasted. Uh, there's a lot of people selling t-shirts on the side of the street. Saw that. Yeah. Saw all of the above. And I was shocked because I guess it still is so weird to me how many people I know in memphis for Mm -hmm. not having been in memphis and someone said oh trolley night's great you always run into people you know and i was like there's no way i don't know that many people in memphis and i swear to you every single place that i went i ran into somebody that i know and that's what's awesome about memphis it really is this like big little small town vibe yeah yeah it's a great city i recommend it as someone who's i mean i'm biased but i travel all over the world and there's a reason that i still call this place home so we want to get into France with you today. Yes. Before we do that, I want to take a minute to tell you about my dark past. Dark past. Did you know that in a former life, I was a graphic designer? 
I did not know that. Yes, I actually drew t-shirts, like screen printed t-shirts. Okay. Uh, like the one I'm wearing now for the Get Lost podcast. Wow. Yeah, and so that leads me to our show sponsor, Parker Prints. Woo, we love Parker Brands. We love Parker Prints. Uh, they are located in South Memphis. And let me tell you, if you are in the market for a t-shirt for your family reunion, for your business, for your podcast, uh, anything like that where you want custom t-shirts, you don't want to go online and go to some random website with artificial intelligence and creepy stuff that makes you upload things and take all your personal data. Nobody wants that, right? No. You want to go to Parker Prints online basic website contact info built it myself about a decade ago yeah you want to go there and you want to email parker prints and tell them about your business tell them what you need and someone there will probably be kathy Catherine, or skyler will give you a call and they will help you design t-shirts without ever having to lift a mouse that's a full stop shop full stop shop uh not creepy super nice people and i can attest as somebody who did work there Amazing customer service. And look at you now. The growth opportunities are endless. (laughs) (laughs) You too could host your own podcast someday. Yeah, that is true. Okay, so the reason we have you here is because we want to get lost with you. We want to pick your brain and go back to Europe. Uh, I presume this is a few years after the Olympics. And we want to go on a trip with you to a place that's really special to a lot of Americans. Normandy, France. Yes. So upon graduating from the University of Southern California with a degree in broadcast and digital journalism and no job lined up. Well done. was very nervous mm-hmm. about my future. Mm-hmm. And I had always wanted to go to France. I was one of those very stereotypical young girls who found Paris incredibly magical. Uh, there was a long running joke in my family that perhaps I'd been conceived in Paris and so oh, really? I had to go back to my homeland funny enough either conceived in um, Paris or Memphis isn't that bizarre that is really bizarre now were your parents uh, world travelers yes well so my dad my mom was a flight attendant mm-hmm. um, so she was very much a world traveler great start and, to and the show yes and for a period of time she was on that Paris route regularly which is like the dream. I would become a flight attendant tomorrow if you told me that yeah, you I could can be, be on the Paris. Paris route and mm-hmm. not like the I won't bash any city in this great country because there's a lot of wonderful places the to Nashville fly. The natural route. How awful. <laughs> I've, I've like hit my threshold of um, that side of the state jokes for the week. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll okay. just I'll pull myself back at this point. But anyway, so I, I loved Paris and my parents are since divorced. And so some kids of divorced parents get two Christmases. I asked for two weeks in Paris. One with my mom, one with my dad. They weren't going to come together, please. That would be a stretch. But So I started out with my mom and we stayed in Paris and had this magical mother-daughter trip and, you know, hit all of the the main things in Paris and went out to Versailles and just had a really lovely experience. So what's that like? Are you like walking around Paris with your mom just like starry-eyed? Is this the spot, mom? Is this the spot? Is this the spot? I constantly, what I remember back about walking Paris with my mom is just infinite gratitude Mm. um, to have the opportunity to be in another country and honestly to go back in that headspace. Like, I just wanted a break. I had just finished school. I was so nervous about my future. And Mm -hmm. here was this little, like, two-week sanctuary where I didn't have to worry about anything. 
Yeah. And I remember the World Cup was going on at the time, and we would stop and watch games, and we went shopping together. I bought a way too expensive bag that I still use. That's my purse to this day. I haven't bought a new purse since. I wanted to buy that purse in Paris. and It comes with a story. It, exactly. I carried a baguette in my purse home from <laughs> Yves Saint Laurent. I was thrilled about getting to do that and like also going back to just like popping into not pubs in this case but little cafes and yeah. sitting and enjoying a glass of wine at 3 p.m with my mom it was great and then my dad came and we did the handoff the divorced parents handoff uh-huh. as many divorced kids know it's not awkward at all and so then my dad's side of it was we would hit things that i hadn't hit with my mom but his big moment was that he wanted to go to normandy and not just to go to Normandy. He wanted to paraglide over Normandy. <laughs> so, Where did why, he- you ask, would one want to descend the beaches of Normandy from the sky? Yeah. Well, he read it in a United Hemispheres magazine on a, on a plane, a random flight, not like on his way to France. This was something that was months in the making. Uh-huh. He had probably been, when you ask about my parents being world travelers, my dad worked in college sports, so he flew all the time, going to different games, going to different schools, whatever. Yeah. And on one of those United flights, fate hit and he happened to read in the hemispheres magazine that some like celebration god i don't know what anniversary it would have been it it must have been the hundred year anniversary Um, not hundred year it uh, would have been 50 year okay so d-day's june 6 1944 so yeah is that around the 2014 yeah yeah 50 year so it was okay it was the 50 year anniversary and it was june and it was so it was close Mm-hmm. It wasn't exactly like June 4th. It wasn't that perfect. Yeah. Um, but they were highlighting things you could do to celebrate and right. remember. And one of them was some paragliding so, service. So dad is on this flight, probably to like Albuquerque or something. Albuquerque, Mobile maybe. Right. Just a random. Just a random place. Random place. And he, he reads in this magazine, wow, um, I can paraglide over Normandy. Sort of like. The 82nd Airborne or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he, in that moment, saw himself. And not just himself, himself and I, which is a bizarre thought to have because <sighs> I am not adventurous by nature. Right. It's not like I love a good adventure. Don't get me wrong. Uh-huh. And I obviously love to travel and, and have new experiences. But, like, I'm not jumping out of a plane. I have no desire to skydive. I've never parasailed, like, all the times that we went to Hawaii I would never parasail and that's over water like that feels a little more right. stable I not think, over giant over, cliffs yeah and very high in the sky situation I don't like bungee jumping I'm not going to do a zip line um, so when he said it I remember he called me one day and he, he talked about it my dad's a big picture taker of, of articles mm-hmm. he took the hemisphere magazine home and mm-hmm. he had copied that page and sent it to me probably in an email and said what do you think about this when we go to france and i was like okay there's no way we're going to do this but so you're like okay because he's not gonna do yeah there's no way there's no way we're actually going to paraglide over the beaches of normandy (laughs) and sure enough he starts planning this trip to normandy like Mm -hmm. you can't just walk over to normandy you've got to take the train you have to rent a car you have to um get a hotel room to stay there have the full experience and right it's because it's rural france it's not in paris it's not near paris no it's out there in 
in the part of France where they really only speak French for real. Correct. And like in terms of renting the car from the train station, I'll never forget my dad got stuck. It was a stick shift mm-hmm. and he got stuck in a little alley and we couldn't back up <laughs> out of the spot. And this is the part of France where like, people don't speak English mm-hmm. either. It, or if they do, they're not going to tell you that they do because they want to see you suffer. Yeah. And so yeah. we're stuck and I'm, I'm just like crying in the car and I'm like, we're going to be stuck. We're going to get hit, whatever. And this is also in Normandy. So <laughs> nice little preclude to the experience that we would have later on in that part of the trip. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's a, it's a journey to get out there. And so even upon getting out there, I'm still thinking there's no way we're going to do this because it's not like you have a guide and they're, you know, taking care of you. It's a very grassroots organization. It feels like, like they have Uh your number. They call you if the wind is right. And they say, do you want to fly? And you've got to go and you got to go. And so the first day we were there for two days and the first day the wind was not right. So Mm -hmm. we had a lovely dinner in Normandy, had some wolf frites, my favorite French food, which is just mussels and French fries, but more places should really do it in in the States. Um, We had this amazing hotel that was on the beach, one of the most beautiful sunsets I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've dodged a bullet. Like, I'm like, okay, as I thought, there's no way we're actually paragliding over. Things are settling down. You're in this beautiful remote region of France. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. We we got out of the car situation. We made it out of the, the backing up with a stick shift. And the next morning we went to, you know, there's a couple museums scattered throughout the city. And then ultimately mm-hmm. there's the cemetery, which is mm-hmm. a very emotional experience. And I highly recommend if you ever do get to go out to Normandy to, to take it in because it's just it, it's incredibly overwhelming. It was a gorgeous day, a, a little bit of a breeze. Yeah. And like I said, you need the wind, but not too much wind. So let me pause you for a second, because the cemetery is a, a pretty significant experience, especially for fellow Americans yeah. um, and, and Canadians and, and British. But we're talking about the American cemetery, like famously in Saving Private Ryan's literally on a cliff over the ocean yep. beautifully manicured and thousands and thousands of white tombstones mm-hmm. and rows what does it feel like to walk through that place it feels really heavy and it feels there's so many places here stateside that you can go and you know i've been to arlington and mm-hmm. even over in hawaii i've been to pearl harbor and and to really take in the heaviness of that mm-hmm. is one thing but this is on a global scale and to know what happened in normandy and, and how it essentially changed the trajectory of yeah. the war uh, and society as we know it today to all boil back down to that one location and to see all of the lives lost it just feels I don't know, like you're so small in that yeah. moment, but in a, in a good way, I mean, because it just reminds you that God, there have been a lot of people who have made huge sacrifices that got us all to this point today. You said it feels heavy. Are you somebody that can walk into a place and, and pick up like the vibe or the temperature of it? Ooh, I don't know. That's a good question. There's a haunted bar across the street. We can <laughs> we can go go to Ernestine and Hazel's. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think... I can feel the temperature of it. I think mm-hmm. it's more a matter of I really try to take in as much of the human experience as possible mm-hmm. and, and to learn as much. I mean, I remember going to the Holocaust Museum in D.C., which is 
I've never had the the honor of going to Germany and, and touring all of those places and taking that in. But sure. God, I mean, I spent like eight hours in the Holocaust Museum or even in the Civil Rights Museum here in Memphis. Yeah, it's another um, heavy place. Yeah. And, and the significance of that and being the, the place where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated to just feel that that time in history and to take yourself and go back. I think so often we're caught up in like the day to day, the rat race, everything that's going on now, now, now. Exactly. And even when we've read about things in books, it's different when you actually experience it in the location that it happened. And there's just kind of an aura that comes over you sure, when you're there. Sure. So you're being engulfed in this aura and you feel a slight breeze coming yeah, over feel, the, the cliff. Slight breeze. And then um, what happens? And I, I remember you, you mentioned the white, tombstones and mm -hmm. we were wandering through that area we had watched the videos we had taken it all in i'm um, seeing some of the planes and my dad gets a call and it says we're ready to fly oh no and my dad says all right we're going and i'm like what do you mean we're going he's like we got to go we, we got to get out there and i'm just shocked thinking back on it like i don't know how we got out there I mean, we obviously drove. Yeah. We had a car. My dad had coordinates of some kind. But this was just a random hill, essentially, that had a drop off of a cliff where you would run off of it. And next thing you knew, you were in the sky flying over the beaches of Normandy. Like Icarus. <laughs> yes. It was it was traumatizing. <laughs> so you, we get in the car and we go. And, and the people there, you know, it was just the two of us. We're the only people flying with these particular... I don't know, professional paragliders. Professional. Yeah, professional. They, they go out regularly. They have all the equipment and uh -huh. they ask you your weight and they ask you, have you done this before? And you're like, no. And I didn't really have time to think. They do put a helmet on you, which That's I appreciate good. the sentiment, but I feel like if you're at the point where you need the helmet, you're probably in trouble. So you're, hold on. You're going to run off of a cliff Yes. With another human on my back, on your back, mm -hmm. and they're going to fly this paraglider, mm -hmm. which is basically a giant kite. Yes. Cool. Continue. Well, the continuation is you run off a cliff like you're just trusting. And for me, like I said, not a big adventure gal. Not right. this is not something that I have like wanted to do my entire life mm -hmm. and you just don't have time to think so you're stuck with this person on your back you're putting your life in their body essentially not just their hands like they're holding you and you're attached together and they just tell you to run and so you run and next thing you know there's nothing under your feet and next thing you know you are horizontal flying over the beaches of normandy and my dad and I are separate, which uh -huh. is, is very important to the entirety of the story. I went first. Okay, so you go first and you <laughs> don't have time to think and you're sailing over the beaches of Normandy. What the fuck is going through your head? For what? I remember for like a split second. Wow, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. And I was able to lose myself in it for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then my anxiety kicked in and I was like, oh, my God, I cannot believe I'm doing this right now. I don't really want to be doing this right now. This isn't something where I felt the weight of the world leave me as I 
flew through the sky. I became very cognizant of the fact that I was in a very precarious situation mm-hmm. and I wanted to enjoy it and I knew my dad had paid for it. Yeah. And so, you know, you don't want to waste it, but at the same time I'm like, okay, clock's ticking. When do I get my what, feet What's back underneath on you? Like, what are you looking at? The, the beach. Just beach just waves. Just beach. Just the water, the beach, um, the cliff that you jumped off of. And we must have been out probably about 10 minutes. I think ultimately, if I remember correctly, we paid for like a 30-minute fly. Yeah. And around the 10-minute mark, and I'm trying to lose myself in it and also like count myself down. From right. Because you're basically a trying not panic to attack. have a yeah, panic yeah. attack. And the woman holding me goes, hey, hey. And she starts pointing her finger down. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I see my dad and his paraglide falling through the sky. Holy shit. And I'm like, what's happening? And she doesn't speak English. And I speak very broken French. Mm-hmm. I took French for years. I Rosetta stoned French so that I didn't have to take it again in college so I could test out. But like, I didn't retain hardly anything, which is so sad. Kids don't do that. Learn That's another right. language. It's very cool. Duolingo, next sponsor. <laughs> yes. Especially if you're going to go paragliding in France. Like maybe know how to speak French a little bit. It might help you out. And I see my dad essentially crash into the beach. And I knew you weren't supposed to land on the beach. That wasn't part of the package. That wasn't part of the full Normandy experience. You were supposed to land back on the cliff where we came from. Something has gone wrong. And so something has gone terribly wrong. And so my woman takes me back, starts flying us back to the cliff. And we land. And I remember the landing was horrible because you come in hot. Mm-hmm. And so it, it hurts a little bit and you end up kind of on your butt. Yeah. And I'm panicking because my dad is not in the sky anymore he is down on the beach and she's trying to explain to me like they crashed they're they're okay but they're down and i just look down and i see my dad stand up so but he's an ant he is like the tiniest human he's so far away that's how long of a journey it is down yeah and so he had to climb back up the cliff with his paraglider and um he, he finally gets up. My dad was... But he's okay. He's okay. Physically, he's okay. Mentally, he was a little, obviously, He crashed scarred. out of the sky. He crashed out of the sky. Which is exactly what's going to happen when you run off a cliff like Icarus. Yes. That and is they the story. technically called it an emergency landing. Uh-huh. Um, and he was, like, pretty scraped up. But, yeah. not. I mean... Thankfully, no broken bones, no oh torn gosh. anything. How high up do you think he was when things when went things south? started going wrong? I yeah. think they what what we tried to understand was that they knew things were going wrong, and so they started the emergency landing, and so he didn't, you know, an emergency landing typically becomes an emergency crash more often than sure, not, and yeah, so the crash right. was just a, the impact. Uh-huh. At the end, they were at least able to have enough of a sail to get them. And when he hit, down is it, and to is find it the a impact, place, the impact is land. enough for like sand and stuff flying around, or what? I think so. Yeah. I don't. I, in oh, my head, so it's cer- in my head, it certainly was. In yeah. my head, it was like, oh no, I'm gonna be trapped. And what am I gonna do? I can't drive a stick. I can't get back to the train station. Like, I'm. I would be completely stranded. So I'm just having to stand there watching him climb up this cliff to come back to me and he's heated and i'll never forget he tried to get us a refund 
and they wouldn't give us a refund. Right. <laughs> I just remember thinking, I was like, okay, okay, good, good try, Dad, good effort. But at the same time, I was also like, uh, he could have died. What went wrong? We don't know to this day. I think that perhaps um, my advice to people would be to give your accurate weight when you go paragliding. Uh-oh. I don't, I don't know. This is not proven fact, but this has become a little bit of lore, mm-hmm. is that perhaps um, it was a little heavier. We'd, we'd eaten a lot of great meals in sure, France up yeah. to that point. Mussels and Mussels fries. Mussels and fries all day, baby. Um, I think that's kind of what they blamed it on uh-huh. to take the responsibility off of them. But again, like this is when you're in another country and there's not the same safety structure, I guess. Like if you did something like that in the U.S., you would have people to call and protocols to follow and, mm-hmm. and whatever. There'd be a company. But these were just some random people yeah. who were, you know, doing paragliding experiences random, over the beaches of Normandy. Random French people. Literally. And who call you when you're walking through a cemetery and say the wind is good, you want to fly, and, and you make the decision to go fly. Wow. So what happened here? Dad gets up to the cliff and... and are you like, let's go again? Or are you like, we got to no, go? No, we are out. We're I done. am done. I am like, get me back to our hotel. Get me a glass of champagne at this point for surviving. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned about my dad and I just want to make sure he's okay. Like he seems good. And when you're a kid and you're in a situation where like something happens to your parent, mm-hmm. obviously it's, it's extra traumatizing because they're supposed to take care of you. And then you're right in that phase where you just graduated college and Mm -hmm. you're like, I'm taking care of my parent and I want him to be okay. But this is also my, my route back to Paris and ultimately my route back home. So (laughs) I I don't want to lose my dad on the beaches of Normandy. Like that that wasn't part of the vacation plan. You need your dad. You need your driver. Yes. I mean, you've got to get home and here's this man who's probably supremely embarrassed at this point. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I think there was a little bit of pride Mm -hmm. hurt, um, especially because it was obviously it was his idea. Like he wanted to do it. This was the experience that he wanted. But I will say hell of a story. You know, I mean, I don't think it's cool enough to say, yes, I paraglided over the beaches in Normandy, but he got the full experience. Oh, yeah. He got shot down. He he was down, man down. (laughs) And he got back up and he made it up that cliff. It's really remarkable, really. Did he have anything to say about climbing the cliff? It felt like forever. Yeah. It was a long walk back up. I mean, I remember it. Time becomes such a weird thing in, in moments like that. And mm-hmm. it feels like hours when sometimes it can be minutes. But mm-hmm. I do think it took between like 45 minutes and an hour for him to get back up. Wow. It's unreal. There's a place in Normandy that we briefly touched on in season two with Josh Gates of Expedition Unknown. So if you guys want to look up the mayan ruins of el mirador episode uh josh goes to normandy and he actually talks about a place called Maisie battery which is another example i think of like uh unhinged european people just doing things that are borderline irresponsible crazy yeah yeah because i remember going there and josh talked about it too but it's essentially this um this point that's a little bit inland from the beaches of normandy where the germans had set up artillery so there are trenches there are bunkers there are all these things that are just sort of haphazardly uncovered and at the time 2017 when i was there you would go to basically a trailer in the woods and you pay an admission fee to this british guy 
who's like at a desk in a trailer surrounded by rusty helmets with bullet holes in them. Yeah. <laughs> like, I should. Like, why? Should you have those? Should you be selling these? I have a lot of questions, you know? How bizarre. It, it's wild. And apparently, Josh had been there a little bit later to film Expedition Unknown. And he said that the, that one guy, uh, I think his name's Gary something. Anyway, he had excavated nearly the entire Maisie Battery area and uncovered like a government conspiracy and all kinds of just insane stuff from his little trailer thing that would probably not fly here in the States. I wonder if he's ever jumped off the cliff. You know, I think in ways he has. <laughs> in the metaphorical sense, he absolutely has. I think he has. Uh, Jess, while we're talking about France, what else stood out to you there? What's something that you would highlight that maybe wouldn't be on everybody's agenda when they go? I really loved the trip to Versailles with my mom. Mm -hmm. um, one, because the opulence of it is just absolutely ridiculous mm -hmm. when you look at the castle itself and the grounds itself. Give, give us an example of that. Uh, just so much gold. I mean, even when you first get there, the, the fencing around it, the, the gates have gold tips and then you go in and, and the artwork that isn't just on the walls, it, it encompasses the entire ceiling. There's a hall of mirrors that just feels so royal-like and, and transports you back to that time when people... Per lived there and, and that was their entire lifestyle but yeah. my favorite thing about the trip to Versailles and it's kind of how I approach traveling period and it's because of my mom and her flight attendant background of kind of just going with the flow and, and mm -hmm. taking every adventure as it's presented to you I guess is, is something that I learned from her we were trying to get to this main area where there's a lake and there's little paddle boards and it's a cute area to oh, wow. sit and relax and, and pretty populated. You know, a lot of families come and picnic there and whatnot. Sure. And so we start walking outside of the main grounds and we're just walking and walking and it's just trees and more trees and we're not really getting anywhere. Uh -huh. And we realize we are, we are lost. Oh, we no. are straight lost. And Chris we're like, why is there no signage? Mm -hmm. Like, how are there not signs telling us where to go? This isn't, you know, I can't believe this is the Versailles experience. We end up at, you know, like some cottages that are out and, and we're taking out the map and we're trying to figure it out. But we don't we can't figure out where we are. And <laughs> I played with some ducks in a pond and some swans, because what else are you going to do when you're lost in, in the outskirts of Versailles if you will yeah. and ultimately we we probably walked around for like three hours we laughed so hard and I'll never forget I just kept singing um, Carol King's Chains was stuck in my head and so I just sang it over and over and over again and we finally get to this pond or this lake and we're like oh, how did oh, hit the mic how did we get here this is incredible we're sitting there we get some gelato we're enjoying it and we we get up to leave and we realized that we were walking like right next to the, the lake the entire time the trees were just it, it was a service road and we somehow ended up on oh the service road God. and went the long way yeah. around all of versailles and you know what i wouldn't have had it any other way like it made that experience so phenomenal 
Yeah, because like how many people just go and they're boom, they're at the lake, boom, they're at the palace. Yeah, and and a very like structured experience at Versailles, and you go to what you what you want to see. Yeah. And instead, we went all around the world, and then ultimately, when we got back to Paris, we did my mom's version of the Louvre, where all you do is go and see the Mona Lisa, and yeah. you do a little drive by, beep beep, bye bye. That's it. That's and the flight attendant see, version um, of the Louvre. Yeah, and uh, oh gosh. The statue with no arms that I cannot think of the name. The Venus the de Milo? Yes, Venus. Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. Those are it. And I took a picture with my arms inside my shirt, like every dumb American who <laughs> probably has that experience. And that And that's what we're supposed to do in Europe, everybody. Like, it's okay to be a tourist sometimes. Yes. And at other times, it's okay to jump off of a cliff. I mean, what more do you want in a trip? <laughs> you get a little bit of best of both worlds situation there so as we kind of wind down here jess um i mean i feel like you and chris have to go to france oh yes we're we're in the process of planning our honeymoon and we really want in a perfect world we would go to greece italy and france Um, those are those are our big three and still trying to figure out where in each of those countries we would go i have always wanted to do a biking wine tour through tuscany that's been on my list for a long time. Yep. And then when it comes to France, we both have different experiences. The last time he was in Paris was with an ex-girlfriend. So he's very much looking forward to, um, or we both are, I guess, creating new memories <laughs> together as a couple. Erase, uh, yeah, erase I mean, the old As much as I memories. love their love lock that exists somewhere outside uh, Notre Dame. but Oh, yeah. you know, Well, you can tell him that they actually do go and remove those. They do. Yeah. I know. So it's probably melted down in the trash yeah. now. Trash. Unfortunate, isn't it? Yes. But I can't wait to get back out and see the world. I just realized my passport expired during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. in the process of getting that renewed ASAP, if anyone's listening and you have also forgotten your passport sitting in a drawer somewhere, go check that. Check that baby out. Do that. And you guys can check Jessica out on Rise and Grind. It's her uh, podcast. Tell us a little about that before we go. Yeah. Rise and Grind is my real job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's under the Grind City Media podcast umbrella. Um, that is the media function of the Memphis Grizzlies. And it's a morning show that I co-host with Megan Triplett. And we get up every morning, 8 a.m., talk about everything in sports, pop culture, entertainment, Memphis, whatever's viral that day. And our producer, CJ Hart, our director, Robbie Weaver. We've created this awesome nucleus of a really fun team. And it was something that started, I mean, the show started August 2020. So to start a show in the middle of a pandemic is, is a lot of work. Yeah. Wouldn't rec- 10 out of 10 would not recommend. But I also have to say I would absolutely recommend it because it brought us to where we are today and we form this little rise and grind family that is a pretty fun way to start every day you know it's such a cool show it is entertaining and i'll actually go watch the replays when i wake up because travel writers and early understand yeah it doesn't work unless we're traveling i i also used to not get up early so i support that fully yeah but i think it's a show that um even people outside of memphis although the grizzlies uh i guess they sponsored they don't sponsored it's a function of the grizzlies we share a building yeah that's what we always say it's you know we're and we're in memphis and so grizzlies news will always be a primo focus of the show but we really try to bring in like national conversation as well so that somebody outside of memphis can enjoy the show it's not just 
Grizzlies focused. It's not just Tigers focused. It's not just Memphis focused. It's, yeah. you know, it's a little bit of everything. You really can. So I'd urge everyone to check it out. And I just have a question as a podcaster yeah. and, and a media person. This is interesting to me because the Grizzlies started Grind City Media, I don't know, four or five years ago, something like that. It, what is it like to work for an NBA team, but in like a totally separate entity within that organization? It's like NBA basketball is not the primary function. Yeah, it's for one, it's a huge breath of fresh air in terms of working for a company that is investing in a creative project like Grind City Media. Mm -hmm. And that's no disrespect to the world of local TV news. That's where I came from. Mm -hmm. It's just a reality facing local television right now is the money is not there in a way that it once was. You're being asked to fill more, more, more with less, less, less. And yeah. it can result in overwhelming amounts of work and not a pay scale that is is increasing it's it's decreasing across the board yeah that's media everywhere that's freelancing media that's, period yeah, yeah and yeah. That, so it's not something that's exclusive to television journalism it's it's media every single place and so to work someplace that is investing and is really you know a big proponent of like the creative process mm -hmm. we're given a lot of freedom with rise and grind which is awesome it's not like we get instructions every day from the Memphis Grizzlies. Okay, this is this is what you'll talk about. Yeah. This is what you won't talk about. Um, you don't no. have overlords. Like you're free to be critical. You're free to, to analyze. Right. Yeah. Okay. And we're not going to get up there and say anything absolutely ridiculous or you know right. spread lies about the team or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't feel like we're beholden to just be a PR pump machine. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's just really nice to work with a group of people who are similarly minded, but we all come from so many different backgrounds. And at Grind City Media, that's what's so special, I think. Like, obviously, the Chris Vernon show was the original podcast of Grind City Media and everything that him and John Roser have done to grow that show. Yeah. To bring in... Tremendously popular show. Tremendously popular and has ridden the Memphis wave and become a national show in itself. All of their stuff with the Masters and with yeah. Vernon's golf updates um, have gone incredibly viral, talking about millions and millions of views. And then they also hired people like Mike Wallace comes in and, and he had past ESPN experience and, and big names in the NBA, Lang Whitaker and everything that he did with Slam and now what he does with Grizz Gaming uh, in conjunction to you know other things that he does with the Memphis Grizzlies and Grind City Media as a whole. That's true. They've got the whole this whole other like gaming arm. Yeah, which I mean is our office. Deal. I mean our studio looks into the window of the gaming studio, which is really cool too. What a fascinating experience that must be. So, Jess, congratulations on that. Everybody, uh, you can follow Grind City Media on YouTube. You can follow Jess on Instagram, Jess Benson TV, uh, and Twitter. What yes. your Twitter handle? Jess keeps Benson TV. Okay. Still trying to get that verification. Yeah, I lost it. Warrant, warrant. Every, warrant, and, warrant. and everybody's lost it lately. So. Well, if you change your handle, it's gone. You lose it, and it's like they don't want to give it back. That's okay. So mean, so mean. Maybe one day we'll dig into the Twitterverse. But okay. thank you so much for taking us on a journey to France. Yeah, I thank hope you. your dad is okay. Send him. He's good. Our best. We've survived how many years? Since seven years. So yeah, just urge him not to try flying again, please. I'm good with that. <laughs> I'm certainly good with it. I don't need to try flying ever again in yeah. that capacity. What an amazing story. Well, Jess, thanks so much. Thank you. Get Lost Podcast is a production of Sold Outside Exploration Company. 
Follow us on Instagram at Get Lost Podcast. Make sure to leave us a review so we can make more episodes.